Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Joe Skelly, who is Marketing and Events Specialist at Overdrive, Inc. Today we will discuss the digital bookmobile. Joe manages the tour route and logistics of Overdrive's digital bookmobile. He has a background in promotional communication and events, is an avid book reader, and can always be found listening to an audiobook in Libby while walking his Boston Terrier, Roscoe. Joe, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. What's Libby? So Libby is Overdrive's brand new app. She's been out for about a year now. And essentially, it's the easiest way to borrow ebooks and audiobooks and magazines in some locations, all for free, just with your library card. So, ebooks and audiobooks that you can listen to and read on your tablet or your phone or your computer? Definitely. So, Libby ha- is uh, compatible with Windows 10, so, there is a Windows 10 app in the store along with um, Apple, Android, pretty much any device you can imagine, you can use Libby uh, cross-compatibly. So I have Libby on my phone, my tablet, uh, my work computer. I can read in a browser. It's a great way to get all set up. And as long as you're using Libby, um, she'll remember where you left off on one device. So if I'm listening at my desk at work, um, and or in the car on the way home, and then I switch over to my iPad, which is connected into my house speakers. It'll remember where I left off during the day using my phone, and then pick up so I don't have to hunt around for where I left off. You know, there's no losing your place in eBooks. Um, so it's all through the library, and it's the same kind of lending model. So if they have a three-week lending period for physical books, usually they have the same thing for digital materials. Um, it'll go on your device. And at the end of the checkout period, it automatically returns, so there are no fines or late fees or anything to worry about like that. You can also access the library 24-7. So if you have kids at home and they tell you last minute on a Sunday with the library closed that they need a book for a project, they're able to go ahead and still find materials online that they can source as an actual book. Because uh, Overdrive, we work directly with the publishers, so everything is preserved exactly as the same as if you had picked up that ISBN number off of the shelf at Barnes & Noble. Tell us a little bit about Overdrive. What is Overdrive? Sure. So Overdrive is an app company. Our CEO started back in the 80s, actually, uh, putting law books onto floppy diskettes, so the large, actually floppy disks. And the idea there was making reading accessible uh, to the law students where the books were giant and heavy, and they had to really go everywhere with a lot of materials. You know, his wife was in school, and she was tired of carrying her books, and he was tired of carrying her books. And essentially, they hit this point where he started to digitize. And so that translated to technology as it grew, and year over year, you know, it was going from floppy diskettes to floppy disks to CD-ROMs to eventually the big app boom uh, and then where we are today. So uh, we've kind of evolved with the times and really have been on the cutting edge of ebook technology since the very beginning. This is today a service that's available through libraries. Tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. So we cover 96% of libraries in the U.S. and Canada. Now, not all libraries have access to OverDrive, but most libraries, like I said, with 96% do have access. There are a lot of different ways that it works. Most people have the misconception that it's like Netflix, whereas your library is paying for a subscription and you have access to the hundreds of thousands of titles that OverDrive provides. But just like your physical library, the digital collection works the same way, both in the sense of a lot of materials are one copy, one user. So if someone has it checked out, um, no one else is checking it out until it's returned. Um, and the library itself is curated the same way. So the librarians sitting inside that building are still picking what they want to dis- be displayed on their shelves. So it's still matching the market that you're able to say, I have a large, um, let's say, Spanish-speaking population, and I can look at those metrics and say, I want to buy books from this publisher who offers 
you know, Harry Potter in seven different languages or, you know, this hit classic is available in all of these different formats, languages to reach the audience that you're actually targeting. So it's not just about saying, okay, well, we've bought this. You can watch as many videos as you want. It's about saying, I can curate a collection that fits my population. You also have the ability to kind of say, I know where I'm going. I know where I want this to go. Um, so when you look at, you know, like kind of like I already said, when you're looking and saying, I have 50 people who are very interested in mysteries and 50 people who are very interested in this, but a large group of everything else, you can mix and match uh, whether it's a book that you want forever or it's a book you want for a short period of time. We have lending models to match that out. How does OverDrive select the titles that it carries? Sure. So going back to saying that we work with publishers all across the globe, the idea really is um, those publishers say to us as we discuss our contracts with them, what catalog are you going to make available to us? In the early days, a lot of times it was back catalog. It was things that had been out for years. Um, and now we've hit a point, of course, being so far from where we started that we are getting, you know, the new titles that we offer libraries the ability to pre-order. So James Patterson most recently published um, with Bill Clinton, The President is Missing. Um, that book, you know, most libraries could pre-order and could say, oh, I know my population will want to read this. Let me grab that and, you know, put it in the collection. And the moment that it's ready, the purchase order will go through, and here it is. So James Patterson's title, The President is Missing. Uh, most libraries pre-ordered that long before it ever had an available street date. So it's really about being able to offer the hottest titles all the way down to some of the furthest back titles. On the other side of things, you may be asking, what about Project Gutenberg? So titles that are in the public domain, have free access to anyone, anytime. Am I paying for those? Can I put those in my digital collection? Um, the answer is yes, you can put those in the digital collection, and no, you don't have to pay for them. So there are also free materials. It's a great way, especially for starter libraries or smaller areas, to be able to expand their collection and still maintain classics. Um, of course, since they're Project Gutenberg titles, it's the same as kind of how you'd see them online. We do the work to import them in, but it's not necessarily the same quality as if it were coming from HarperCollins. What criteria does OverDrive use in selecting titles? Sure. Um, for us, we don't necessarily implement the criteria. We work to say, Penguin Random House, we want to make sure we have the access to the hottest content. So for us, it's about making sure that we as a company overall have the greatest access to provide that back to the library. So the librarians are going to be the ones implementing the criteria. So um, small towns saying that they mainly have an interest in um, Christian fiction are going to focus on our publishers that provide that or are going to promote um, the catalogs that our staff librarians build out and maybe gravitate towards those lists versus the um, overdrive doesn't implement anything. We, we work hard to make sure we have the most to offer as possible. It's easy when it comes to the main publishers, mm -hmm. of course, but for readers who are interested in something outside of that, yes. are you curating titles from self-published authors and indie publishers? Is there yeah. an effort to be representative of the demographics of the country not just in language, but in authors and publishers and to be inclusive of diversity beyond what the main publishers offer. Absolutely. So we boast being able to work with publishers all over the world um, from some of the smallish publishing houses in Poland, but then even looking back here in the U.S. where we have a large group of self-published works. There is actually a whole section in our marketplace where you can look specifically at self-published titles. So while it doesn't cover the 
the huge range of collections available. We're hitting the major players in the self-published, and our publisher account services team is always working to see how can we add into that next realm. You know, who is self-publishing where? How do we gain access to them? And how do we work with them contractually to be able to provide that, as you're saying, to the to the markets? Because just because we offer you know, the New York Times bestsellers and everything underneath. We also want to make sure that we're covering, like you said, those diverse titles, looking at the uh, the vastly underserved market and say, we see you, we hear you, and we want to make sure that you have access. And you said that there is a place on your website where our readers can find those? Yes. So, um Unfortunately, the way that the website system works, it's more that the librarians who are curating have the access to our marketplace, but they will be able to go into their public library's collection using their library card and then gain access that way. So in order to see those self-published and indie-published titles, they have to go through their library and ask their library to find the indie titles and self-published titles in OverDrive? So the wonderful thing is we do have a feature in um, our website when you're looking for a book called Recommend to Library. So if there is a title you're looking for and it comes from a self-published author, all you have to do if the library doesn't have it is click Recommend to Library, and then they will um, purchase the book. So it's, it's usually a good way for them to kind of press in. So it's it's the same idea, really, if you go back to a physical library. They may have, you know, very few libraries have a strong librarian who is saying, I'm looking at self-published, I'm looking at small scale. Um, but this way, it kind of says to them, hey, we have a demand coming from a population we didn't even know we had. Now we can serve it. And you do that by going into your library's catalog, and then they you will encounter OverDrive? Is that what I'm, you're saying? So if you go to your library's website, most of them will have a link that says to go to your e-resources, and that way they'll give you a sign-in to OverDrive. It'll still be your library card number. Some may require a PIN, just different by location. But if you wanted to see our list of publishers just as a business overview, it would be available on our company website, which is company.overdrive.com. What percentage of your catalog would you say is dedicated to those lesser-known titles? To self-published, lesser-known? I'd say um, if we were looking at a scale of 100%, it's probably about 15 to 20 because the majority of our of our work has been focusing on getting large titles. So the idea of building, you know, the, the brand as a whole, if you will, going from how small we were at the beginning to where we've come to now, being kind of the major player in the industry, it took putting titles in front of librarians that they knew they had to buy. So 20% of your collection is dedicated to indie publishers and self-published titles. Is that correct? I would say so. And how would you say that your collection is divided in terms of fiction and nonfiction overall? I would say that's a pretty even divide. You're not getting more of one than another. So you'll still see biographies, um, self-help, uh, there's actually a lot of, on the school side, we offer a lot of workbooks. Um, there's a lot of different ways in which you can find the, the information you're looking for. So I would say between fiction and nonfiction, it's an even divide. And within the 20% that's dedicated to the lesser-known indie publishers and self-published titles, mm -hmm. is the divide the same? That one is uh, a harder one for me to speak on, mainly just because the the kind of indie published and, and self-published titles end up being kind of by the nature of the, you know, the, the individual creating. I tend to see a lot of fiction and a lot of romance when I look through the collection, but that's just usually what people are searching, and my searches tend to be most popular as I'm, you know, looking out, you know, on every level of collection. But they do include a lot of 
keto cookbooks and a little um, self-help here and there. So I would say it's a fair split, but skewed more towards the side of fiction. I'm thinking also, for example, that many of our listeners are business people and business executives, and a lot of them have the desire to write a business book, something that they're an expert in, and they may self-publish or go with a small publisher. What, what are the chances for those of our potential authors, or maybe we already have authors and they want to go the self-published route this time, try it out. Maybe yeah. they've gone with a, an established publisher in the past. What are the chances that their titles might end up in your catalog? I, you know, I always say that your chances are, are always high, and it's always a, a good realm to go with, whether you're self-published or whether you're with, you know, Random House, HarperCollins, anything like that, because there are so many ways to get published works into our system. Uh, looking at kind of the, the largest self-published group in my head, uh, Smashwords tends to come to mind, and we offer, you know, a lot of their collection as purchasable content for libraries. But the other side of things is even if you wrote a book um, and published, like, through Amazon service, which at the end it essentially goes available on Amazon and on, on Kindle, uh, which we do have the only digital lending partnership with Amazon, um, so there would still be ease of access there. You can also take the EPUB file that's generated at the end and offer that to your local library. So we even have the ability that if people want to upload local content, like if a library wants to run their own newsletter through the app, they can do that. What more would you tell us in terms of OverDrive and how an average listener, a business listener, might come into contact with OverDrive. Is it likely, for example, that the, there are a lot of business titles that might be available through the library? Absolutely. So we do offer a huge selection of professional development titles. It's especially big in our school market because it's an easier way for school districts to provide professional growth and professional development to teachers, but it doesn't just stop at the education level. We have professional development across all platforms. So whether you want to start your own business library within your company for your staff, we could work with that. Or if you were looking at your public library, they are going to offer um, different ways to, if you're on the small end, to build your small business or uh, different books created by other business owners on uh, along the spectrum to say, how can we motivate you or how can I give you advice? So it's not just, you know, it's not just, you know, Nancy Drew for the kids and James Patterson for the, the adults. It really is how do we create a well-rounded experience for everyone? We know everyone's interests aren't, you know, they aren't just the indie, they aren't just the mainstream. Some people want that, how do I clear out my house, you know? So whether it is the, I believe it's the art of Swedish death cleaning or, um, you know, Who Killed My Daughter by Lois Duncan, it's, it's a wide gamut of everything available. So to look at your business audience here, I would say, you know, go to your local library, uh, make sure that your library card is, is active still, and then try downloading Libby and just, you know, search in the nonfiction collection. We can look at, you know, business development titles. We can look at professional growth. Sorry. Uh, we can look at professional growth. We can look at, um, you know, human resources experiences and a lot of different ways to help out nurture and grow your business. You mentioned that OverDrive started out offering content for lawyers. Is yeah. that still something that you offer and has it expanded, say, to continuing legal education and for accountants and any other practitioners? Absolutely. So we still work with law libraries and we actually build quite large law libraries. We have a dedicated team in the office just to work with them. Uh, they have their own area of our support team uh, working mainly with LexisNexis. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that lawyers have access to these resources. Um, they can do definitions, notes, and highlights all within the text, 
and export them, which is law library specific, but it gives them ways to not have to carry around, you know, those, those giant books of resource and still, you know, provide the best services to their client. Um, we haven't looked at all of the potential yet, or, you know, we haven't developed out all of the potential yet as far as going into other markets like that. You know, is there a, a resource for doctors? Is there a resource for, you know, other professionals in terms of, you know, who's got large books like that? Um, but the law libraries have expanded exponentially from where we started. I was listening to public radio the other day, and they were saying that the price of college textbooks had skyrocketed. I, I think the interviewer was talking about $300 textbooks for undergraduate students. So I have to imagine that if those textbooks were available through a library or that could be checked out, they would be immensely popular. Is that something that you offer? Um, I couldn't agree more. Uh, having graduated, you know, within the last five years myself, even even then they were incredibly expensive. Um, but to answer your question, no, we do not offer them yet. Um, textbook publication is one of the hardest areas to break into, mostly because it's, it's big money for, for the publisher, for the publication house. With, you know, your typical book publishers, fiction or nonfiction, it's straightforward. You know, the cost for the book is the same, whether it's electronic or digital, within reason, or at least within a business sense. Whereas for textbooks, kind of the bloat and the markup is, is really great, and they don't want to let that go. Um, so it's, it's definitely something I've, I hear around the office that we're always working on. Um, especially since we have such a push to expand our growth in the schools. Last year, we were at about 3% of schools served in the U.S., and currently we're between 10 and 13% of the U.S. that we're in the schools with our school-based app, Sora. Um, you know, that is both public schools at the elementary, middle, and high school level and university level, but we're not yet offering textbooks. On, on any scale. We do have workbooks uh, for some of the younger ages, you know, kind of working on math. We have um, uh, advanced placement books, ACT, SAT prep. Um, but as once you hit that textbook level, that's kind of where we we uh, are, are dropping for right now. We're still still investing in how that could work for us, though. I also read an article that talked about how libraries had become highly desirable in hotels in some circles. Yeah. And um, there was actually an announcement for an exotic location that, that was looking for a, a librarian to manage the collection for high-end guests. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you've seen hotels and inns at coming to you to – tap into your products for their guests? Definitely. Um, not so much on the, the hotel end. Uh, we do have that in some of our um, foreign markets, but looking here even in the States, um, in Denver, I believe, at the airport, there are a few overdrive terminals that connect to the public library where if you're you know waiting, you can check out a book for a short period of time. So if you have a three-hour layover, you could check out that book, and then when you get home, you know, find it in your own library's collection. So we're always looking at how we can expand, you know, hospitals. So if you're, you know, if you're sitting there waiting, does the hospital have a library that you can use? So it's, it's about the idea, like you mentioned, with hotels, um, curating collections for high-end guests, but also how do we serve, you know, airports with business people sitting around for hours waiting for the next flight or hospitals as you're waiting for the news and the updates. Where does the digital bookmobile come into play? And I guess before even we do that, what sure. is the digital bookmobile? Definitely. So uh, I guess to start off, the digital bookmobile is – uh, you know, not to brag, but my pride and joy. Um, it started in 2008. We are on our second one now. We recently retired it uh, back in, in 15 and took a year off to do some, some rebuilding. But before we get into that, the digital bookmobile um, is a truck at the most basic sense because two different based on the years. 
It's a truck that goes all over the U.S. and Canada to visit our public library and our school groups that partner with us, and it's our way of saying thank you. Um, it's a bit of a philanthropic venture because we are not charging the libraries or the schools anything for our attendance. Um, it's all, you know, paid for by overdrive. And essentially, I plan a tour every year that covers as many stops as we can, and we show our public library patrons and our school students how to get started on their apps. If they're experienced users, we show them new features or we help them with any problems that they've come across along the way. Um, and really, it's also about training the library staff to say, hey, thank you for building this wonderful collection for your public. Let's show you how to make um, your experience even greater. Just to make sure that I understand, Mm -hmm. We were talking about a truck, but it doesn't have actual print books in it. What it Correct. has are electronic devices? Yes. So we took the idea of the original bookmobile, uh, traveling, you know, in rural areas to the underserved populations to provide them with books for a specific lending period, and we adapted that into the digital age. So what is on board uh, the current bookmobile, it's a toter home, so it's like a really tricked-out RV, and it's full of tablets and computers and devices, touchscreen TVs, monitors, all sorts of things to show tips and tricks, how to get started, um, different ways that we can instruct and inform. So, right, there are no books inside other than a few setup manuals for TVs, uh, just in case we need to make any fixes. Um, but yeah, every everything is electronic, everything is digitized. It, both apps are represented, whether it's our school app Sora or our public library app Libby. Um, or we do still have the original OverDrive app on a few devices, just in case um, anyone's still using that. We can show them kind of the benefits between the two and try to get them to try out Libby. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really fun experience. I'm guessing that the youngest users mm -hmm. are proficient with the technology <laughs> and the devices, uh, even at the most basic levels and across all income levels. I imagine that the young users are not having any difficulties loading apps and accessing materials digitally. Is that right? You would be guessing absolutely correct. <laughs> um, our driver, Ira, always jokes, uh, whenever we have a child come on board, usually they run in, he calls it the electronic petting zoo, and, you know, they're on a device, they've already found the app, and they're going, okay, well, I'm got, I've got this far, what what am I missing? Oh, that's it? Okay. And then they're they're three books deep, and basically they're they're playing around and figuring out all on their own so that we can talk to their parents and we can say, these are the benefits to allowing your child to try out a read-along or an audiobook or any of the different formats, but also how does it benefit you? You know, do you drive a lot and you've missed out on the reading that you've wanted to do, so why not listen to it while you drive? Or, you know, if you're working out, an audiobook can be your, your new read. Um, so it's a, it's a good way to blend um, all ages. The truck is also ADA accessible, so there's a wheelchair lift, the devices flip and rotate, and all of the counters have adjustable heights, so everyone should be able to have the exact same experience, regardless of ability. Um, but while the truck is fun and brightly colorful, and if anyone wants to see pictures, they can go to our website, digitalbookmobile.com. Um, but while it is fun and brightly colored, it is accessible and appropriate for all ages. While we are happy to see families with young children to come on because it means that we're starting a new era of readers, we're also so happy to see our older adult population come on board because, you know, I, I always joke with my grandmother because I set her up years ago on overdrive before Libby was even, you know, born. And, you know, now that she's 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 getting a little up there and she's having some some cognitive issues here and there, she always goes, where are oh, I keep looking for large print books. Where are the large print books? And they say, Grandma, you don't have to look for the large print books because in ebooks they can all be large print since we offer adjustable font sizes and even different reading settings. Um, 
but it, it, you know, so to your point, yes, those, those kids, they come flying on and they grab a device and they've already found, you know, the Paw Patrol read along because it's their favorite show or, you know, they've, said, oh, Harry Potter has always sounded really cool. I want to listen to this audiobook. You know, they're they're there, they're ready. And then the adults, seeing how excited their kids are, it, it gets them excited to try it out as well. Now, looking at that same concept and going over to the school side of things, because, um, if you know, to your point, if we're saying, well, the kids figured out why are you going to schools, a lot of times in schools, kids don't know the resource that's available to them. And many families, um, regardless of, of income and, you know, kind of socioeconomic trends, they may not be going to the library. Even if they need the resources that the library provides, they may not know that digital content is available. You know, so that kid may have a device from a school that they can use at home, but they don't know that their public library is offering, so they really need to know that their school library is offering thousands of titles. Um, in Sora, kids can access assigned titles. Um, they can check out their own pleasure reading titles. They can check out content just for research. So it's it's the same idea, uh, just a different market. So we'll we'll go to a school for a day, and we will um, hold thirty to twenty to thirty minute sessions um, throughout the course of the day and get the kids set up. So we have a fun interactive experience where we say to them, you know, okay where do you think I go to search for a book? And, you know, someone comes running up and they tap on the touch screen and, you know, we're, we're interacting with everyone. We're showing them that it's a, it's a fun thing and it's a good way to engage those students who need um, different access, uh, whether it is an audiobook because reading isn't their favorite or showing them how to use our open dyslexic font um, because we do offer a font that makes it harder for people who deal with dyslexia to flip words. Um, so it's weighted heavily on the bottom. That way the text is a little more clear. Um, there are different slants and things that just make it um, harder for your brain to do those flips, which I, I try to mention even at public library events because I think it's important for everyone. A lot of times uh, different barriers like that keep people from reading. So whether it's a, on the business end, if you want to improve yourself, but, you know, reading wasn't always for you because maybe you struggled with, with a lot of different things or you pick up a book and even if it isn't dyslexia, you hate the font, you can change the font. Sure, it's going to look the same from the publisher originally, but you can always say, I want it to look a little bit more like my favorite website. You could do that instead. Does the bookmobile go only to schools? Does it go elsewhere? So we do both schools and public libraries. Our only criteria in terms of making a stop at either a school or a public library is just that they have to be an overdrive partner. Since we have um, so many partners, it's hard enough for me to pick the stops as it is, so I just try to restrict it to people who are already using the service. How do you select? It's, there's just one truck, correct? Yes. <laughs> How do you select where it goes and how long it remains there? Definitely. So um, just a little background on the tour. We run from February. in San We start in San Jose, California, and we end there in November because that's where we park the truck for the winter. Um, and essentially, I have to avoid snow at all costs. So that kind of um, forms my route at the most basic level as we go from February through April. Um, so we kind of, you know, we'll do the West Coast and, and towards the, you know, the southern states and the gulfs. Um, but essentially, I am looking at high circulation and low circulation. I'm looking at um, requests that have come in on our website. So there's a great portal on digitalbookmobile.com where librarians and schools are welcome to say, hey, we'd really like you here because, you know, it's read an ebook day and we think we'd have the best celebration at our library if the truck was included. Uh, we look at a lot of different factors. So it's, you know, it's everything from the, the best performing to the ones who just started and, and need a little help. So sometimes it's just a giant truck showing up, being bright and colorful with fun and happy people on board ready to get you started. Um, but the idea of, of this as a whole and just kind of how it applies to the business market here that we're talking to is the idea of that promotional marketing, being able to say, 
um, thank you, taking back uh, the the power to the customer and saying, we appreciate what you've done for us. And really, by taking a day or two or four in a certain state, um, we're able to expose the collection to so many people. We can increase your circulations. We can get new people started. We can help those who had a rough start, you know, whether their device was, you know, acting up or, you know, they just had a poor experience with the app because of whatever was going on in their life at that time. We can show them that, hey, that was, you know, an isolated incident and here's how we get you started in earnest because we want everyone to have the accessibility to books. So, you know, we offer multiple languages. We offer different ability you know, assistances, just so that everyone can have a book in their hand, um, whether they're hopping on a plane and they need less space in their luggage, or, you know, it's mom with a car full of kids, you know, and she needs something to entertain them, but she doesn't want to watch the same movie for the 50th time, you know, she can find a book. Or if you're, you know, you're working in a, you know, in a law firm and I need resources quick, um, I need access to them all the time, or I'm working towards my next promotion, how do I say that I've made measurable changes? Oh, well, this book shows me how I can go through step-by-step and say, we started here and we end up here. How many stops does the bookmobile make between February and November? Quite a few. Uh, (laughs) My average goal is 15 a month, uh, but we tend to do more than that. By the end of this year's tour in November, we should be at about um, 225, somewhere between 225 and 250, just depending. You know, since we're in a a storm right now, we may have a, a cancellation or two, but we should be okay. How do you get the word out? So this is something that you're doing from a marketing perspective and as a thank you to participants. How do you get the end users to know about the truck that's going to be in their area? Definitely. So our marketing team um, and our creative services team have created a lot of resources that I make easily available to the library and I'm working with. We have an entire marketing kit, which um, anyone can check out just to see how we're doing. It is on the Bookmobile's website. Uh, I believe the forward slash is libraries. Um, And it has pre-made social media graphics, so they can post on, they can change their header on Facebook and Twitter. They can make a post on Instagram. We also provide a pre-written press release for them along with a lot of other different printouts. So we've got flyers, we've got multilingual getting started guides, everything that they could possibly need to really amp up their presence, uh, their overdrive presence in the library, uh, but also put up and, you know, just let their patrons know, hey, the truck is coming on X date, you know, for this amount of hours. Um, So that's what we give to the libraries for them to do. But then on our end, Not only throughout the course of the event are we posting on social media and tagging their accounts. Um, Before the event, our PR specialist sends out a few media releases, and that way the press knows that we're coming. So she uses a database to reach out and say, the truck will be in the area on this day at this library from time to time. If you have any questions, please contact me. And then we use any information that comes back to, you know, talk to the press, communicate to them, and I do a lot of interviews beforehand, and then our on-site rep, Lauren, uh, she manages the, well, she executes all of the events um, for me, and she does a lot of interviews day of if anyone shows up. You know, um, we also create Facebook events, so it's really about doing the most on our end so that they can just really pick up the pieces that we've handed and, and run with it. Which venues do you find most effective with which market segments? So you mentioned Facebook, for example, and lately there's been a movement for people to delete their Facebook accounts. Has that been affecting your efforts and um, the other venues, the other channels, et cetera? 
if I were to look at the effectiveness of social media um, on our events, I would say that Instagram, as we see in most uh, business resources, being the most effective across the widest range, uh, is still the most effective for us. Uh, it really does get people excited because it's a visual thing. You know, if they look, they see the graphic, you know, and they go, oh, what's that truck about? You know, they read the post, they see that, oh, they'll be at my library. Weird. Cool. I'll check it out. Um, but when I look at Facebook, um, we haven't seen a huge impact from people moving towards deleting their accounts yet, um, because a lot of the population who have liked their Facebook, you know, have liked a library's Facebook page, uh, most likely aren't moving to delete it anytime soon, uh, both being that older adult population and then the population of late 20s, mid 30s that are still fairly active on Facebook. So while Facebook is kind of our, our next largest market of, of reference, Instagram really does bring in the numbers for us. Um, and then Twitter, while we do Twitter day of event, we don't really do anything pre-event, mostly because it's, um, it, it's more time sensitive. You know, Twitter is more effective for us if they're looking at their area or they're looking at what their library is retweeting. Um, seeing that the day of and people coming out because of that is is far more effective than anyone doing it ahead of time. What about subgroups mm -hmm. such as by age or gender or ethnicity or ability, a disability, et cetera? Do you find that certain channels are more effective or perhaps for groups that are not online at all? Mm -hmm. uh, well, looking at, to start with the groups that are online, uh, the most effective in terms of that middle of the road age range, you know, the 28 to 36 and then the 55 plus Facebook is the most effective for day of event and beforehand. Um, Thankfully, that also covers families with children, typically. Um, and then Instagram is more the younger audience, but they're usually distracted by school. Uh, so if it's a public library event, uh, are we open after school hours? Because the library chooses the hours that the truck is running from. So, you know, I kind of leave it to them to say, this is when we have our highest population in and out that day. Um, what times work best for you? Um, and then uh, different abilities, I would also say it goes back to Facebook, even with Facebook accounts slowly trickling out of existence. Um, but then looking at the market of people that don't use the Internet, um, don't use social media, who kind of avoid access on that level, uh, the most important has been print advertising. Um, it really comes down to... Uh, what the library does within. So I've found kind of in, in from my business standpoint, um, the more that the library does within the building itself, the more effective our events become. So while we offer our services on social media, uh, while we do all of that to kind of boost the event, uh, it really is dependent on the library using the resources we've provided to let the population know um, that's where we see the largest number of families with children. That's where we see the largest number of teens in after-school groups, uh, seniors who are ready to try out again or um, get started because they want more access to content, or um, in a lot of situations where uh, you have, we call them here snowbirds, so people who go from uh, warm climate to warm climate, depending on the weather situation, you know, have houses in multiple areas. They want ebooks because they don't want to have to travel with books. Um, but then looking at multiple languages, that's also where resources in print within the library become most important because we offer different language resources. So while the Facebook post may only be in English, the poster within the library can be in multiple languages. Did I hear you say that you place uh, print ads? We don't place print ads. Um, we just uh, offer, let's see, we offer um, materials that the library can print. So we've pre-made graphics, posters, flyers, but then also we reach out using our PR channels uh, to the newspapers, the news media, radio, public TV, things like that. Um, while we don't pay for any of that, if they choose to pick up the story, we happily run with it. Are there particular media channels that 
get the greatest response, the broadcast mm -hmm. versus print versus online, et cetera? So far this year, our greatest response has been those who have run print beforehand. So if they do any sort of article a few days before the truck is arriving, we see a lot of people come running in with that newspaper or that bulletin in hand. Um, and then the other side of that, if we do any radio spots, uh, I've done some pre-recordings for a few days leading up to the event and also the day of the event. Those, we have a lot of people that say, oh, we heard you on the radio today. Uh, that's what brought us in. Um, and then when it comes to the news, usually it ends up playing later in the day, just by nature. So those don't tend to be as effective for the event itself. But in terms of circulation spikes and new user signups, seeing the truck on the news after the fact at least gets people in downloading the app and signing in with their library card to try material out. Do you see any particular groups that respond more to one versus the other? I have not. Um, looking at the metrics, I, I really haven't seen um, one group specifically. Just looking at personal experience being at an event, um, the market that's tending to read the newspaper um, is that older adult range, just, you know, usually in the public library event sphere. But... Beyond that, um, when it comes to hearing things on the radio, that tends to skew a little younger. And then looking at the news, that covers all ages. So it's it not a not a strict enough trend for me to be able to give you um, like the the most informed answer on. What group would you say presents the greatest challenge in terms of reaching them? We have the hardest time reaching the teenage group. So essentially grades 8 through 10 is our hardest group to capture. Um, 11 and 12, they're already at the library for different resources for study materials. But that kind of 8, 9, 10, that's the group where I, I always kind of joke and say that, you know, it's not cool to tell people that you like reading in that range. Um, so they're very resistant. They hide it. Um, they're friend-centric, you know, they're not looking at, um, they're not looking at books, they're not looking at things, or they're not letting people know that, um, which is always funny to me because an app that, you know, no one knows what you're doing on uh, seems to be the perfect answer to that. You know, you can still read books and no one will know. Um, but, yeah, teens present the hardest challenge for us. It's hard to market to them. It's hard to tell them, you know, this is something you should be interested in. Um, you know, the, the preteen group, they're great. They're super active. Um, the older teens, as they're heading towards college and they're, you know, they're prepping, they're reading, uh, they're getting books in multiple formats because they want to be able to, you know, make highlights in a borrowed version digitally and listen to it and, and all sorts of things. You know, they know that the resources are there and that they have to do it to buckle down to move forward, um, regardless of demographic in terms of uh, economics and race. I mean, you know, the, the older teens, if they are moving towards college, if they are moving towards bettering themselves just in any way, um, professionally or otherwise, they're, they're using these services but it's, it's that middle group that, that really eludes us. I would have thought that the retirees would be the most difficult group to reach. What <laughs> is the reach for that group like? I thought so, too. Um, when, I, when I started this, um, I really thought that the older adults, the retirees, would be my hardest get. But the trend over the last five years has been, you know what mom really needs? She needs a tablet because we can communicate with her that way. You know, we can bring her into our world. So they're the ones who are picking up the newspaper or seeing on the news that we're coming. And they go, well, it's time for me to finally figure this darn thing out. So they come in and they say, well, my kid bought me this iPad. My kid bought me this Kindle. I hear from the librarians here that I talk to, you know, every other day that I can check out books on this. Show me how. So as long as they aren't resistant to technology. They're usually for it. And even those who, while they, they may not necessarily be checking out, I look in the terms of our event success, um, 
we do get a lot of retirees who don't have tablets, who they have their flip phone, they have their landline at the house, you know, they check out their, their physical books from the library and that's it. Um, they still come on board. They still come on board the digital bookmobile and they are looking around to see what's what. You know, they ask me the questions like, um, well, are you trying to replace libraries? The answer is always no. Um, and they ask the, the very defensive and protective questions. And once they realize that it's, it's about access and it's about the greatest amount of content uh, while still maintaining the, the dignity and services of the library, they're usually okay with it. They may not be signing up. Uh, they may not be, you know, running out and buying a tablet, but they're now considering it. And a lot of times they take materials that at the very least they'll go home and they'll access it. You know, if they have a computer, they'll they'll try to go on the library's website and check it out from there. What about speakers of English as a second language or sometimes not at all? Um, so when I look at English as a second language speakers, um, or as you mentioned, people who don't speak English at all, um, while Libby is only, the app itself is only presented in English, you can access uh, multiple language titles. But for people who don't read English at all or uh, read it at a very minimal level, we still keep our OverDrive app in existence because the app itself can be changed into different languages. Um, we are, that is on the roadmap for Libby. So Libby will eventually be um, the, the one-stop shop for everything, you know, full accessibility in terms of multi-language format, things like that. But you could download the OverDrive app and change it into Chinese Simplified or French or Spanish, you know, any from countless languages and the entire app integration will translate over like that. So you can look at titles in your native language or in, you know, the, the language of choice and work that way. You mentioned foreign languages. Are mm -hmm. how many languages or how, books in how many languages are available on OverDrive and uh, through the digital bookmobile? So um, a lot. <laughs> as, as silly as that is, the, the answer is uh, pretty much most languages have options, um, whether it is regional, whether it is by dialect. As long as the publisher is offering it in that language, the text is available in that language. So um, it, it goes back to what is your library curating? Um, and that's where I kind of return to the idea of recommending titles to your librarian. They don't know what market they're missing if they don't know the market exists. So um, it, just the same in any business, how do you track someone who usually runs under the radar? Sometimes you have to listen to them when they tell you hey, we, we need books, you know, we're, we're dying for books in X format, please purchase in this language. And then all of a sudden they start to show up and then the demand is seen. And so the next time they purchase a big title, they purchase it not only in English, but they purchase it in, in French and Spanish, you know, because they see that those markets are higher. Um, we have a lot of experience with this on the bookmobile, uh, specifically in, let's see, so the most surprising place I found a need for a large Spanish-speaking population was Minnesota, um, but we also have large Asian collections um, like Chinese Simplified in Toronto, in Canada, or in California, uh, specifically, you know, San Francisco, area, you know, Bay Area. Um, you'll see large uh, Chinese-American populations there, um, along with Spanish-American populations. So you're looking at a lot of languages by demographic as they break down. So some states just as a whole offer large multi-formats um, of language, like here in Ohio, uh, where I'm based out of, uh, a lot of our local libraries will offer in French, Spanish, Russian, Polish, um, and German as kind of the, the main languages following English. Um, but depending on the area, they'll expand out further. How many titles does the OverDrive catalog have? I don't have an exact number, but our catalog offers hundreds of thousands of titles. So um, there is a great number you know, publisher by publisher um, that, that let me think of how I want to say this. Uh, <laughs> so hundreds of thousands of titles in multiple languages, in English, in, you know, in, in anything you can kind of dream of. 
it's it really is just a wide array. How responsive are the librarians to these requests that you've mentioned? So mm-hmm. it, if I understand correctly, your catalog is one thing, but ultimately library patrons in any given location only have access to the titles selected by the librarians, and they tend to follow the recommendations of newspaper articles and newsletters from the library associations, etc. So how much impact do you see when individuals make requests? At the times I've asked at my local library, there didn't seem to be a lot of interest. Definitely. You are absolutely correct um, in your understanding. So our, our catalog, Overdrive itself, is hundreds of thousands of titles. Um, my local library here has 150,000 unique ebook titles, um, similar numbers towards audiobook titles as well. But uh, last week I was at a library in Boston that offered 25,000 unique ebook titles. So, right, it goes back to the librarian's discretion of how they build up their collection based on what factors they're looking at, um, whether it is. Um, the American Library Association, you know, newsletter of, oh, top books for your library. But a lot of librarians that I've met in my travels have been very forthcoming, have been very understanding of demographics. So a lot of times they understand who they're buying for um, and they they build accordingly. So you can have, um, you know, our, our Overdrive staff library, which is, you know, every title we offer down to libraries that offer a couple thousand titles. But when I see libraries with requests, the only thing that tends to stop them from meeting those demands uh, tends to go back to um, budget. You know, are they maxed out for the year? If not, a lot of times I see libraries do purchasing. Um, Delaware, their public library system pretty much, uh, I actually was able to meet a couple weeks ago with the person who manages their purchasing, and he works very hard to check those lists almost every day to see, you know, what have high volumes of holds so he can increase amount of copies circulating and um, high volumes of requests. So if one person requests a book and it's really kind of out there and they, they see market-wise that, well, this may not serve our population well, sometimes those get denied. Um especially if budgets are tight. But when you're looking at something that they can look at and go, okay, I could see how people would be interested in this, a lot of times it gets purchased. Now, I have similar experiences as you when it comes to, I've requested a book from the physical library and they never never purchase it because it's like, okay, well, that one's kind of out there. Uh, But when it comes to digital, a lot of times those barriers come down because they're no longer looking at, wow, so we're going to buy this one book for one person to read, and then it has to sit on the shelf somewhere and take up space that we need for other things. When it's digital, it's not taking up shelf space. Uh, It's the the same kind of idea why why, um, it's not competition with the libraries. I always think of it as a good way for libraries to build their collections for all of the people they serve and not have to spend money building a new building. You know, so if they, you know, I always joke and say if J.K. Rowling put out a new book tomorrow, um, you know, libraries would would flood themselves with copies because they know the demand would be necessary to meet. But then at the end, you know, they decide that they're going to keep five of those 30 that they purchased in their system, and then they sell the other 25, you know, for, for pennies in a friend's book sale. You know, whereas we have different models that they could say, okay, I want to purchase five that we own forever and then 25 extra that we only keep for X amount of circulations. You know, so the the purchasing model is different there, but also it means that at the end of that, they're not wasting money that they spent um, selling them for, you know, a quarter or they're not building new buildings or buying more shelves to keep books, you know, within the physical building because they could say, I'll buy two physical and three digital and now we have a new demand met and it's it's cost us less. I always think of that money as going back into either into the catalog or into the programming that they offer the public. What recommendations would you share with our listeners who 
are interested in titles, either for leisure fiction or for work, that perhaps are not in the library catalog, or for those of our listeners who want to write a book of their own and would like to see it in your catalog? Sure. So if you're looking for your next great read, um, first off, I'd say download Libby and honestly just browse the collections that your library offers. You know, so go in there and tap on collections and say, you know, I really want a thriller today and see what jumps out at you because you'll be able to see what's sorted by popularity um, you know, by recently added, there's a lot of different ways to filter that you could see what are other people reading? Would I like it? Or you could pick something random. Um, and then if you are a budding author or if you're writing your next book and you want to see your book in our app, um, my suggestion, if you're going self-published, um, look at some of the major self-publishing platforms, look at Smashwords, uh, look at things like that. And You'll most likely see it appear in our in our library, um, available for your public library to purchase. Um, if you write a book or if you've written a book and you have the EPUB format, you can always provide that to your public library and ask them to upload it as local content. I noticed you didn't mention Amazon. Does that mean Amazon titles are not available? Am oh, yes. I'm sorry. Uh, that'd be a great thing to talk about, actually. So we do have the only digital lending partnership with Amazon. So if you have a Kindle, whether it is a Fire, a Paperwhite, anything like that, you can send titles um, from OverDrive to your Kindle. Uh, if you use the Libby app, she actually has a built-in setting that um, setting preference called I'll Mostly Read in Kindle. And basically what happens there is when you check out a book, it will say send it'll after you say borrow it'll prompt you to send to your kindle and at that point it will confirm the device that you're sending it to and it'll be downloaded to your amazon bookshelf so it presents a seamless transition uh, whether it is um, a book you've purchased or a book from the library they'll all be on the same shelf what about any indie publishers that we might have among our listeners what should they do if they're not already in your catalog, if they would like to learn more about opportunities? If they would like to be a part of our catalog or if they would like to learn more about opportunities, I would direct them to company.overdrive.com. Uh, they can always uh, go into the contact form, and at that point they'll be able to say that they're a publisher interested in partnering with us to make their collection available, and our team will be in contact. Is there a, any kind of a sponsorship opportunity that you offer for businesses that want to get exposure, say, to sponsor a day with a bookmobile or any kind of private library access that businesses might be able to facilitate to their employees? Uh, in terms of private library access for a business, um, that's kind of back to the, the, the same idea um, offered to indie publishers that I would suggest them visiting the company website uh, because they could get in contact with the account rep for their state and they'll kind of help them through the process of talking about business opportunities. But if they are interested in opportunities to partner with the Bookmobile, I'll send them back to my website, digitalbookmobile.com. Um, and if you're typing it in, it is forward slash contact, but there's a contact option in the menu tab. That'll all come through directly to me, and uh, we can look at ways that we could either promote when we're in your area or how we could partner together. So if you are a small publisher and you're interested in showing how you work with the public library, there's no reason you couldn't be set up right alongside us. Or if you, you know, have kind of similar tech or a lot of different things, we're always happy to, to show up and show out. Um, we're also always happy to be alongside food trucks, so if we've got any uh, other truck businesses that want to want to pull up next to us, we're, we never say no to that. <laughs> Are there any additional resources that you would recommend to our listeners who want to better understand OverDrive and the OverDrive digital bookmobile? Definitely. So, we offer a ton of resources, and if you are looking at the ways that you can market your own business and want to see how we're doing it, um, both in terms of the bookmobile, because we are 
a very different form of marketing with experiential marketing. Um, you can go to our website, digitalbookmobile.com forward slash libraries. That'll take you right into our library marketing kit. But if you also want to see how Overdrive provides resources to its library and school partners, I would suggest going to our resource center. That's resources.overdrive.com. And then um, I would say to go into public libraries as well and just kind of to look around. Uh, both are great ways to see the different trainings that we offer for libraries, uh, digital media resources. It, it's kind of an endless catalog of ways that we give our customers uh, ways to promote the business. Thank you, Joe, for joining us from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on today. And to our audience, you have been listening to Joe Skelly, who is Marketing and Events Specialist at Overdrive, Inc., who discussed the Digital Bookmobile. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.